If you have a copy of God's word, I'll ask if you could pull that out, whether it be hard copy or digital. We're going to be in Acts 17 today, uh, chapter 17 and 18. We're going to jump around just a little bit, so I'll draw your attention to verses 15 to 23, and then verses 30 to 32, and then 18 verse 1. Uh, If you'd like to follow along on the screen, I completely understand. Verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. With some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, "Why does this babbler wish to? What does this babbler wish to say?" Others said, "He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection." And they took him and brought him to the to the Areopagus, saying, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean." Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this description, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. 18 verse 1, and after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. If we haven't met yet, I'm Evan, um, and you have joined us for uh, yet another uh, day in Thessalonians. And and don't worry, uh, you'll get your bearings if you're just joining us after uh, not being for the first messages. Each one of these stand alone. So I recall a situation in which uh, a young man uh, here at this church made a profession of faith and uh, was baptized. And soon after, he made a lifestyle decision that was, uh, it was convenient, it made sense financially, it was in keeping with his culture, uh, but the problem was that it was very um, against the clear teaching of scripture. I watched as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ came and appealed to him and said, this is not in keeping with, with God's word. And though he listened very respectfully, he, he did not change. There's one sister in particular who pursued him in an a, uh, unusual way, and she approached me and said, and I could just see it in her face, I think she had been up nights. Like I could see it in her eyes, she was tired. And she said, would you help just approach this, this man for a final appeal? And I sat in this meeting, and I just listened after brother after brother and sister after sister appealed to this young man to, to change And then I saw something that honestly and to my shame I did not expect. He repented. He he changed his ways. And I walked out of that meeting um, 
convicted, I think, because I realized, like, I didn't expect it, because generally relationships fray under that. They can't stand the weight of confrontation. Sometimes even seen with, with tragedies, people will run from their church, or if they've suffered a, a hard relational breakup, they run from their church because they're feeling shame. And it just makes me wonder, what kind of relationship stands duress, stands the kind of stress that, that this young man withstood. In today's passage, um, Paul finds out that his relationship with the Thessalonians withstood time and duress. And so I'd like to ask the question this morning, what's the secret to strong faith community relationships that can withstand distress? So three secrets to strong faith community relationships. Now, I, I need to define a few things there. First of all, it's not a secret. It's right in front of us, all right? Um, it's not a secret because I honestly see this at work all over the place in this church. But sometimes we miss them when they're right in front of us. So I want to say secrets of strong relationships. By strong, I don't just mean tight. I mean ones that can come out of duress with their faith intact and their love intact, and their mutual affection for one another intact. That kind of relationship. And even though I believe that this would be the kind of message that would work well in any relationship, I'm mostly concerned about the relationships in this faith community. So this narrative happens after Paul left Thessalonica, and it teaches us these three secrets to these strong relationships. Okay, so the first section we see in verses 17 through 20. And uh, in this section, we learn that Paul is really anguished at being separated from them and had made repeated attempts to come back to them. The key phrase is this, we were torn away from you. And, and that's very, very emotional. And so in this first passage, we're going to see all kinds of emotion from Paul. So the first secret, all right, the first secret, I'm not going to keep using air quotes, okay, you understand what I mean here, is, is that affection, affection. Now, Paul's not mildly affectionate. He is intensely affectionate, as I hope we will see here. So secret number one, a strong faith community relationship demonstrates affection. We're going to see this in two different ways. The first is on the screen. It, it's, it's shown by his repeated attempts to, to return to them, and we see this in, in verses 17 and 18. Actually, maybe if we could get that on the screen, the previous verses, you'll see it in 17 and 18, or track with me. So Saul, uh, Paul saw this forced separation as really unnatural, as we saw by this phrase, since we were torn away from you. Uh, that is a phrase that is used of orphans. Moms and dads being ripped away from their kids or vice versa. So it's a very, very emotional phrase. And, and Paul saw this as very unnatural. That's not a natural state. And so he, he tries to, to close that gap and be reunited. He made a more than ordinary effort to do this. Uh, the word is he endeavored. He focuses on doing this. Endeavor is something like it's, it's, it's vigorous and it's hurried. Paul's kind of plotting and scheming, I think. So he's over there in Corinth going like, how can I see their faces again? I think he, he may be like throwing up crazy schemes. Like what if, what if, um, you know, what if I get in a wagon and they cover me with hay? You know, or maybe if I shave my head and, you know, you know, I mean, Paul was trying to figure out how could he go incognito? How could he see their face again? He tried over and over again. And it was with great desire 
not half-hearted, something like you know you should do, but you don't really care about. You know, kind of like, yeah, I know how to call that person. You allow two rings and then, you know, hang it up. Um, you see that old, te old telephone? No, I hang it up. There we go. Um, it's not like that wedding that you really don't want to attend and you're like, RSVP, mm, uh, nope, I got a meeting. You know, like not half-hearted. He said, he said, I had great desire and a greater than usual effort to get back to you. Paul would move heaven and earth if he could. He says, I, Paul, again and again. Paul needed them to know that he wanted to get back to them. Not just Silas, not Timothy, but he. And of course, he was the one uh, that was being undermined. And so he said, I, Paul. He's like, Silas, make sure you put that in there. And even, uh, you can see the, the, some of your, your translations may have hyphens around it. He starts using this real jerky language. It's not even a complete sentence. And sometimes when you get really emotional, you start using these brief sentences and you may not even finish your thought. That's what's happening here. But, he says, despite his resolution to come, uh, Satan hindered him. That's one of those intriguing passages. You know, we don't really know how Satan hindered Paul from returning, if you want to just put on, you know, your sanctified imagination, uh, who knows, maybe, remember his friend Jason that housed him and got yanked in front of the mob? Uh, maybe Jason's bond was that if Paul sets foot in here, the full wrath of the city will land on you. Maybe uh, Paul was sick. Maybe he was in Corinth and, there, and Satan had stirred up so much trouble there that he couldn't get away. But whatever it is, Paul attributes it to Satan's war tactics. And uh, he says that Satan hindered. Hinder is a military metaphor for when they like break up the roads and break the aqueducts and, and ruin the infrastructure. He said that's the kind of war that Satan is, is waging against us. This is spiritual warfare. Now, Satan is a, a being. He's not an omnipresent, omniscient being, but he is a being and a very powerful one. If you've been on the mission field, perhaps you've experienced this, or if you've talked to missionaries, ask one sometime. Uh, I've had missionaries struggle to explain to me the oppression that they feel in the land that they're in, in places where, where Satan has had free reign, and you can actually literally feel the oppression. And they will describe things about the way they are hindered that you're like, that is inhuman. I mean, you'll have like a customs agent that is just like being utterly unreasonable. And I think Paul would say, uh, yeah, that is, that's Satan at work. Every step is a struggle. So he, he demonstrates his affection for them by just like doing whatever it takes to get back to them. But we also see it in his language and his way of speaking with, uh, to them. There's this really emotional language we noted that they were torn away. But he has this phrase... Um, I think we'll try to get the scripture back up there again. He says, in person, but not in heart. In other words, my body got hustled away, but my thoughts are with you. Yeah, we get that sentiment, don't we? Uh, he starts calling them uh, brothers again. And his words are longing words. In verse 17, he says, um, we're separated from you for a short time. Like, well, he never actually got back to them. It wasn't a short time, but that's what his heart was. Uh, that's his great desire in verse 17. We wanted to come to you in verse 18. When I could bear it no longer in verses 1 and 5 of chapter 3, uh, I long for you. Do you see these, these, these affection words that are just coming out of here? And how he speaks and how he thinks of them. He says, for you are our hope and our joy. 
Paul's got so much hopes for them, uh, as we've seen. And, and, and when they do well, he has joy. He says that they are his crown of boasting. Second time we've heard about boasting today. There's some good boasting. This is good boasting right here. He says, you guys are what we're proud about. You know, this is very much like um, a mom or dad looking at their kid that just lost a game and said, hey, I'm proud of you. Now, listen, to his, listen to his words where he says, um, who is it that we are proud about? You are our glory. You are our crown. Uh, and he's probably thinking about the, the Greek games where they give him the laurels. He's saying, the laurels, the glory that we as missionary gets is you before God. Now, that's why he fights this fight. So for those of us who want to build these, these relationships, these strong community, faith-based relationships, all right, um, what do we do? Well, keep up that affection. Now, uh, I see this at work here. Uh, I, I thank God for it. And I just say, let's do it all the more. You know, don't buy into the idea that the best way to motivate somebody is to be chintzy with the affirmation, to kind of dole it out to make them want more. Paul's just not like that. He just, he just gives it. That's how he is. And if you've been holding back, don't. If it runs counter to your personality, you're like, I'm just not a real expressive, effusive person. Well, take some baby steps, you know. Um, if you hear me call you brother or sister, realize that, that means something to me. That, that is a term of endearment and affection, and it speaks to our relationship that we have in Christ. Um, I would, you know, that's a little bit, you know, I, I think probably churches down in the south, you hear a lot more, hey, brother, that kind of thing. And I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying this is a term of endearment. I wouldn't mind if we heard more of it around here. The next section, verses 1 through 5. Uh, the governing phrase here is, we sent Timothy. Now, why that's important is because Paul is going to say, I love you guys so much that I did this for you. And we're going to talk about why sending Timothy was such a big deal, why that was a sacrifice. So the second secret is sacrificing for the other's well-being. So the thought for Paul that their faith may be shaken by all the affliction that's come around them was more than he could bear. So when every attempt to them failed, Paul said, "I I could bear it no longer. And uh, if you have your scripture there, or if we can get it on the screen there, um, he was concerned that they may be moved by their afflictions. So he just couldn't bear the thought of his afflictions moving them. You know, and it'd been, and their afflictions. It'd been such a roller coaster, if, if you've been tracking with us, I mean, have this, like, this joy of conversion. And then you're part of a new assembly, and you've got brothers and sisters and a family, and you've been planted in God's plan, and then all of a sudden there are these, these murmurs and these threats, and then there's this mob, and, and all of a sudden Paul's gone, and there are insinuations about them and about Paul, and they're left feeling like orphans, fatherless. They're getting kicked out of their natural communities. People are talking bad about them. They're getting locked out of the guilds. And, and Paul's just afraid that maybe all these things will combine to say, like, that whole Paul thing, that was just a bad dream. You know? Let's just call this whole thing off. That's what Paul feared. feared. He also feared in verse 5 that the tempter that had tempted them and their labor was in vain. Again, Paul had no illusions about what was going on behind the scene. That there is a malevolent being who is trying to derail them. When we think about the tempter, 
Uh, Satan, we think like, ooh, Satan's the one who like tempts us to do bad things. Satan wants me to sin. Yeah, guys, that's small ball. He he doesn't care about little sin. He wants to derail you completely. He wants to shake you from your faith. He wants it all to be in vain. Apostasy, that's what he wants. So Paul says, I can't bear that. Here's what I'm going to do. He sacrifices his own well-being for theirs. He put the well-being of himself and his team in second place. How? Well, by being willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, why would that be such a bad thing? I mean, how many of you would like a month in the Mediterranean? That sounds pretty good. Athens? Good place. Well, to the ministry-minded Paul, Athens was the opposite of Thessalonica. So there he received warmness, and they accepted him. And as we heard from the reading today that Din read, uh, Athens was a different place. It was skeptical. It was philosophical. There were gods all over the place, and they, they treated him like a curiosity. Ah, oh, a new philosopher blowing in. Here, here, here. And they were, they were you know, patronizing him and like, yeah, let's, we'll hear what you have to say. And if you notice in that scripture reading, uh, there were very, very few people. Just a couple of people came to God, and then it says, and then we left. <laughs> None of that, like, I tried to stay longer, or it was just like, we, we needed to get out of Athens. And uh, so what does he do? He says, I can't bear this anymore. I'm willing to be left in Athens, and so I send Timothy. Now, for us to understand why that's a sacrifice, we've got to understand Timothy. So Timothy, just kind of like a thumbnail biography here, uh, Timothy was Paul's dearest dearest friend. He was uh, his son in the faith. He mentions him in most of his books. He was part of his inner circle. Uh, He talks to him as a younger brother, my brother Timothy, a fellow worker. He calls him my true child in the faith and a co-worker of the gospel. Paul held him in just highest regard. And so as a gospel, as a co-worker of the gospel of Christ, Timothy can teach them and teach them about Christ and what Christ has done. And Timothy you know, was some that Paul loved and relied on them. Um, my dad was a, a Civil War buff, and uh, he told me this story about how at the Battle of Chancellorville, one of the Confederate generals, Stonewall Jackson, was, was wounded so much so that his shot by his own men in the confusion, and uh, they, they had to amputate his left arm, and Jackson died from that wound. When Lee was told that, he said, he's lost his left arm, but I've lost my right arm. And I think that's exactly how Paul felt. He's like, this is, this is like amputating a part of my team. I don't want to be without my Timothy. But he was willing to do so for their benefit. And he knew that Timothy would serve them well. Uh, it says that Timothy will establish their faith, that he would be there to exhort them. So he was just going to do anything that Paul longed to do. You remember Coach Paul? You know, Coach, you know, come on, get into the kingdom. You know, you're worthy. Let's, let's go, guys. You know, walk worthy of God. Uh, you know, like Coach Paul. He says, okay, Timothy, you're licensed to do the exact same thing. He's licensed to exhort them in their faith with a goal that they won't be moved by those afflictions. So if you want to build these, these strong relationships in this community, keep up the sacrifice. You know, uh, we're all aware of the normal currency of relationships, time, money, effort, right? This is how you build relationships and uh, apply that to this faith community. I mean, that means dial that number, send that text, 
send that direct message. If somebody's wandering through the faith, pursue them. Go after them. Minister to them. Draw them back. Uh, ask the tough questions. Answer the tough questions. Even if somebody is just like saying, I don't know, I'll, I'll go read up on that. Um, be with that hurting person. The thing is about hurting people is that sometimes they hurt people, right? And you may be the nearest one, and that may be your sacrifice. But that kind of sacrifice builds a strong community that, that we weave together. And so by our affection, by our sacrifice, uh, we're going to build a community that can withstand duress. Verses 6 through 10. So this, there's a final phrase here that governs this section, and it's this. But Timothy has just now come to us. So in this section, Paul gets Timothy's report, and he is so relieved, has so much joy and thanksgiving, and he starts plotting about how to see them again. The final secret of a strong faith community relationship is, is it revives. Now, I struggled with how to say this, but what I, here's what I'm trying to say. Revives is my attempt to communicate what Paul says when he says this later in the verses, for now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. So the idea here is that Paul said, like, while I'm waiting for you guys and didn't know what our relationship was, it's kind of like everything went dormant. I had seeds in a desert. But when, but when my, the word, that report from you came, it exploded like a desert with those rains, with those beautiful flowers. And so a strong relationship revives. So there's kind of a dynamic um, relationship thing that goes on when a whole bunch of people are checking in with each other, receiving many reports from one another. And then as they interact, they respond to them. And it it gets this cycle of separation and receiving a report and having your care for somebody revived, praying for them. And uh, we see this cycle in this passage. So we saw a, a relationship that was established in Thessalonica, and then the relationship was broken by time and circumstance, and then it was reengaged by Paul. So in verse 6, Paul receives Timothy's report. So it took a while. He sent Paul, uh, Timothy away, and it would be almost like walking down to Ocean City, staying a few days to check in on them, and then walking back. All right, So it probably took, took Timothy a month. But when he did, he brought good news. He brought a good report. All the while, Paul waited. Would he hear good news or would he hear terrible news? And uh, you, know, you never know what you're going to get when you receive a report. Like when you walk up to somebody in the hallway here and say, how are you? And they actually like listen to you and they see you mean it. And they, they say, well, what's going to come out next? Is it going to be good news or is it going to be terrible news? <laughs> is it going to be, um, you know, I... My aging parents with us now. My child is, is really, really struggling. I've got these health issues. Or it may be great news, like, hey, we're doing well. We're persevering, you know, walking with God. And my spouse is doing well. I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. And, uh, but that is part of this cycle. You're, you're ready for whatever news. But Timothy brought good news. It's literally gospel. He brought gospel, uh, the best kind of news. And it was news of their faith and their love. So their faith of God, despite everything, has stood the test. They're beaten and bruised, but they are not broken. Their love is still broadcasting out. Their testimony is still going forth. And for Paul, the thing that he most wanted to hear was this, that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. 
Timothy says, Paul, they remember the enjoyable experiences they had, even the, in, in the affliction, and they hold you in the highest affection. And Paul's dormant soul in the desert just explodes with gratitude. He responds with, with joy and renewed desire to see them. The word is that our team was comforted. So despite all the internal anxiety had, despite all the stuff that is going on, they're comforted. The waiting felt like death, but the news felt like resurrection. And I know how that feels, and I think you guys do too. I've had uh, people ask us how we're doing with our daughter going off to college. And uh, my wife's answer to the first, first time I heard that question, she said, we're, we're doing okay because she's doing okay. I thought, yeah, that is true. I mean, we were so concerned for her, her roommates and her loneliness and would she care for herself and, and all, you know, would she like her classes? I mean, you guys, right, all the questions that you ask yourself that your parents are asking. Um, and, and then when we hear that she's doing well, what happens? We're just like joy and enthusiasm and thanksgiving and more phone calls. That's how that affected Paul. The other way it affected is that his care revived. It says that he bursts out with this, this thanksgiving. He says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy we feel for your sake in the presence of God? Have you ever said that kind of rhetorical question, how can I ever thank you enough? What, what can I even say? That's how much he felt. And he starts plotting to see them again, his desire to see them again. You see that cycle? So it went dormant, and now it's like, boom, it's reviving. And he begins plotting again. Maybe this is when he starts figuring out his third missionary journey. And then he says he, he wants to invest in them to supply what's lacking in their faith. He starts mentoring them immediately by the only means available to him at that time. He says, you know, Silas, get the parchment. I'm going to write him a letter. And uh, there's a lot to teach them due to the separation. So I hope you see the reviving effect that Timothy's report had on him. It comforted him, and then it fueled more efforts so to those who want to build strong, you know, faith community relationships here, revive those efforts. Revive them. Seek that report. Go up to that person in the hall and say, you know, how are you? Then listen. Uh, allow it to reignite your prayer for the person in front of you. Send that text. Send that email. You know, we got so many, communi- you know, communication advantages over Paul. He had to wait a month, but, you know, we can do it just like that, which can be overwhelming sometimes. But take that next step. Make a list. Write down that key date for somebody on a calendar. Be more curious about how they really are doing. So what if? You know, I, I would say this. We are, we are blessed in this congregation with so many examples of affection and sacrifice and these cycles of care. I, I thank God for it. But you know, be affirmed today that you are weaving threads. You're, you're building a fabric of relationships that when it comes under duress, someone will have a really hard time walking away. And so I'm talking about the earnest conversations that will happen in this room right after this and in the halls. I'm talking about spontaneous prayer. I'm talking about affectionate language, brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm talking about, like, saying, it's really good to see you. Isn't it nice to be seen? <laughs> You know, like, I'm so glad you're here and, and really mean it. Sympathy. You know, the neurobiologists talk about how sympathy, like the mere act of telling a sympathetic person and receiving that 
has, has amazing things. It begins to build neural connections. I mean, our, we are holistic beings. And so what happens here can actually contribute to somebody's health. A strong conviction that it's the Holy Spirit who lives in us and guides our interactions. It can be a little overwhelming trying to know, you know, 350 people, right? But we have the Holy Spirit, and you've got to believe that the Holy Spirit, the person in front of you is the person that he wants you to interact with. And, and that just lets us rest and move into those relationships. So let's pray that we'll see even more relationships that can dis, you know, survive distress and duress in our, in our congregation. Let's pray. Father, give us these types of relationships. And Father, help us to value each other enough to engage in them. And thank you for the model of this that we've seen illustrated in Paul and his team. And, uh, and the church that he loves so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.